one of the uh, commentaries. Listen to what it says here. Not only is this book worthy that every Christian should read it, but every Christian should read it word by word and memorize it. Because it should be an occupation of their everyday life. Because it talks about things that we deal with every single day in our life. The book of Romans, if I just want to read a book of the Bible, it'll generally be the book of Romans. Why? I find myself all over the stinking place in that book. Good and bad. You mean, Pastor, after all these years of being saved, good and bad. Bob, maybe not. But, but not Larry, definitely not. But, but folks, it, you talk about pulling the covers down and saying, hey, this is, this, is what, this is what life really is. It can never, the commentator goes on to say, it can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious, precious it will become to your life. He goes on to say, it's the most remarkable production by the most remarkable man. Why? Because it is Paul's heart. When you read Paul, I mean, you, you, just, you just lay in the seventh chapter of Romans. You know who Paul's talking about? Him. When he uses those terms, oh, wretched man that I am. Now think about that, Paul. How many would sit here and think that Paul is possibly one of the greatest apostles that ever lived? Two-thirds of the New Testament penned by the Holy Ghost through his hand. And he writes, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, Paul was helping us to understand, there's nothing in and of me. I, I would love to sit here and say that if you all grab a hold of this, you'll never have another broken day of your life. You, you've heard me say over the years, I thought when I became a Christian, man, I can't wait to be a Christian for 10 years or 15 or 20 years. Man, how much easier it's going to be. It's harder! Do you know why it's harder? Because I realize the wretched man that I am. Folks, this is pastor talking. I just happen to be one of those transparent pastors that stands behind the pulpit and said, you want to follow a mistake? Hang with me for five minutes. Oh, wretched man. Paul is writing his heart. And when you read some of Paul, this guy, this guy was in your face. It was his heart. It, it contained all of his theology, his understanding of relationship with God, his theoretical and his practical. And listen to this. It is the very basis of his entire life, how he lived and how he died. But what I love is while Paul is writing this transparent picture of himself and his relationship with Jesus and his life on this earth, it was the clearest and fullest exposition that he could ever have, have penned about the doctrines of sin and grace and the greatest possible solution that uni the universal dominion of sin and death was overcome by the universal redemption of Jesus Christ. How's that for an intro to the book of Romans. If we get through this and we grab a hold of it, understand it, and listen to it, it has the ability to transform our lives completely. What I want to start out with first, Jack, give me 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I, when I do book studies of the Bible, I virtually never will do exegetical studies. Years ago, the reason I don't, I don't say they're bad. What exegetical means is verse by verse. You basically start at Romans 1, then you go to Romans 1, 1, 1, 2, 1, 3, 1, 4, and so on and so forth. And I, I purposely, years and years ago, I was praying and talking to God and saying, God, what's the best way to preach? Because I listen to some of these guys, and, and they just they blow my mind. I love Ravi Zacharias. I love Chuck Swindoll. You know, uh, 
Um, I, I better not say it. Some of you might get irritated at me. I do okay with Stanley. He irritates me a lot, but that's okay. He's Baptist, so what do I do? I, I, it doesn't mean he's bad. He's good. Most people believe he's, he's he Baptocostals, but they believe. They believe that Charles Stanley got baptized in the Holy Ghost, is, which is one of the reasons he had some of the struggles that he had, but who knows? He doesn't talk about it. But there are some great, great expositional preachers out there that don't just go into the exegesis. They actually get into the topical application of the exegetical studies. Pastor, what did you say? It doesn't matter. All I'm saying is I teach from a topical perspective. I bring it into everyday life application is what I strive to do. Okay? So, when you look at the book of Romans, let me just kind of, in a nutshell, in the next few minutes, I'm going to have Jack read this passage, uh, but then I'm going to talk about something for just a moment. Okay, Jack, would you read that? Second Timothy, because I want us to understand something. I, I, I talked about Paul a minute ago, and I made a statement. Two-thirds of the New Testament was penned by the Holy Spirit through Paul's hand. What does that mean? Jack, go ahead and read. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture, read the very first line again, would you, Jack? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Where does all Scripture come from? Okay. Was a man just sitting around one day and decided he wanted to write a bunch of stuff down? Now, if the name was Joseph Smith, that would be accurate. A demon manifested to him, and he wrote all kinds of junk down. If it was another one by, uh, uh, what was her name, Baker Eddy? Steve, you probably remember that. Uh, some of the old cult person. Mary Baker Eddy, who was the formulator of which religion? Christian science. I mean, sit down and put together all kinds of garbage. and uh, Yeah, those are, those are man-inspired or demon-inspired. Okay? But the Bible, the Scripture that you and I use from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is God-inspired. And what is it useful for? Preaching, teaching, reproving, reproving, rebuking. For all growth, exhorting and building, everything in God's Word is there for that purpose. To help lift us up, to help when we get our heads in the clouds to bring us down, so we're not lifted up in ourselves. And the book of Romans is, is hugely uh, purposeful in this understanding. That's why I wanted Jack to read that. You see, man is outside of Christ, and there is nothing in his religious ability can he do to get in to Christ. Man is lost because of the fall, because of what we see when we read the book of Genesis. And we read in the third chapter where the, Eve, the serpent seduced the woman, and the woman gave the apple or fruit, whatever it was. The Bible doesn't say it was an apple. We call it an apple. But gave the, the fruit to Adam. It took man outside of relationship with God. Sacrifices had to happen from the very first sacrifices of Cain and Abel to bring that right relationship, right relationship, right standing, Okay? Let me, let me get these, this very clear from the very beginning. Okay? Right standing right standing right relationship um, right harmony All of these words mean righteousness. 
When the Bible talks about righteousness, it means to be in right standing or in right relationship. If a man is righteous before God, what is he? He's in right standing. He's in right relationship or he is back in harmony with God. Are you with me? Okay. Remember, this is a Bible study. You talk back, I talk to you, we go back and forth. Okay? So when we're talking about righteousness, and this is what the book of Romans is so incredible about, when we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about being able to accomplish something that we could not do before. There was no way on earth that we could become righteous in ourselves. Because sin separated us from God. Because the Bible says that God cannot look on sin. Okay, which is why many Bible scholars tell us that on that, those, those last three days, those three days that Jesus spent in the tomb, when He hung at Calvary and He said those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was He saying? What does it mean to be forsaken from God? To be separated. Okay? You see, what, what is eternal separation? What is the second death? Eternal separation from God. Okay? And that's what it actually is. When God cannot look on sin. So when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time, listen to what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. It says he tasted death. Now we think that means that he just, well, <clears throat> uh, for those in the, on the recorder, I just pray, acted like I died. <clears throat> I wanted, <clears throat> well, they weren't here and they couldn't. Okay. Anyway. It did not mean that he just physically died and gave up the ghost. If it was, it was a time after he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the Bible says he gave up the ghost. Most scholars, your pastor include, re- believe what happened at that moment in time is he tasted death. He first, for that moment, felt what it would be like without his father. First time in all of eternity, separated from his father. Darkness set in, if you will. Okay? When the Bible says he descended into the depths of the earth, we talked about it just the other night, he descended that he might ascend to set captivity captive to give people that died prior to Calvary the opportunity to know him. He was separated from the father. For a period of time. Why is that important to understand? It's not a trick question, Bill. I need microphones. Yeah. Because he, because he was perfect. Uh, he couldn't take sin on him that way. So he had to be separated from God and become man to take that sin upon him. The only way that he could take the sin upon him was to be separated from God. Very good. What else? He tasted death. He knew to know what sin was like. How could he become sin? He had to become separated. Why? Remember we talked about it a little while ago. God cannot what? So most Bible scholars, your pastor included, believe it was there that God turned His back on His Son. Think about it for a second. How much did His Father love us? How much did Jesus love us? He had to know what eternal separation tasted like. Why? Because multitudes are going to be eternally separated. I'm just going to let that sit in for a second. 
This is what Jesus did at Calvary. All for one reason. To make us righteous. If we do not understand this in our Christian experience, if we do not understand what it means to become righteous, we can go to our church. We can, place, we can go to Sunday school. We can do all the things. We can be as good as we want. If we do not understand it is in Christ we became righteous, nothing else matters. Larry could never be good enough. I don't care what, this preacher, I don't care how many sermons I preached. I don't care how many good deeds you do. This is why we have this incessant in nature to do good. But yet we don't. Once again, this wretched man that I am. We really do want to do good. Why? God birthed it in us, but man rebelled against it. And he broke the right standing, the right relationship, the harmony. That Think about it in the Garden of Eden. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. God walked with Adam, walked with Eve every day in the cool of the day. And Satan was still able to deceive him. You want to go deeper? Think about the angels of heaven who walked with God, who were in His very presence. If we do not understand there's nothing in and of ourselves that enables this, it, nothing else matters. I can only become this because of what Jesus did. Am I making sense so far? Okay? All Scripture, as Jack just read a few minutes ago, is God-breathed. It's given for instruction. Yet, in all of Scripture, it is the perspective found in the book of Romans that helps us to understand the Christian life better than any other single book of the Bible. One of the reasons many don't understand the New Testament is because they don't read the Old Testament. We have been given this idea that we are a New Testament church. And yes, we are. But where did the New Testament come from? Paul gave us understanding in the book of Romans, the marriage between the law and grace. And he brought it all together. But because we, we choose, well, you know, that's not for the, that was then, that was a different dispensation. And they don't even know what dispensation means. <laughs> the Bible, in your notes, I think it's in your notes, I don't remember how much room I had in these pages. No, I'm not in your notes yet. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay? The Bible is not just a random, haphazard compilation of books. It is a divinely appointed, finely woven tapestry of the heart, mind, will, purpose, and passion of God. Written and placed that you and I can know Him, can become known by Him, and make Him known to others. Many have asked, how would I recommend to read the Bible? I've already went through all of that just a few moments ago. But I put Romans right at the very beginning. And if I could tell you to read, you know, a single four books. Single four books. Romans, Galatians, Philippians. That's three. Ephesians. Thank you. My mind gets ahead of myself sometimes. Romans was written around 57, 58 A.D. after the death of Christ. It was written to the church at Rome and to all future Bible readers. Paul was at Corinth 
he was taking up a collection to go into Israel for the poor in Jerusalem. This is the purpose that he was wanting to visit the, book, the church of Rome. The church of Rome was not a new church. When this book was written, the church of Rome had been around for many years, and we find that recorded how Paul said, for years I've been wanting to come to you. The theme of the book of Romans is man's natural inclination to sin and the fact that we don't have a problem being separated from God because of this sin nature. Are you with me tonight? And the fact that we cannot make ourselves righteous. That we cannot put that relationship or earn that salvation on our own. Oh, but in God's loving kindness, He provided a way to redeem us through His Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the sin debt with His sacrificial death. Why was Jesus' death sacrificial? He chose to do it on his own, but even choosing. The Bible says good people die for people. Why was his sacrificial? Bill? Because that, that's the way the Old Testament worked. It, the sacrifice was the covering for sin, so he had to be that final sacrifice so that we didn't have to continue to sacrifice okay. forever. Sacrifice was final for sin back there next to Victor. I don't know your name, young lady. Cornita? Juanita. Okay. Go ahead, Juanita. Um, I believe it's sacrificial because he did what the Father wanted him to do and not his own will. He did what the Father wanted to do and not his own will. Think about it for a second. When Jesus walked the earth, he was all God, but he had to separate himself from his divinity to become all man. Be the scapegoat. Think about that for a second. Lenore? I was just going to quote uh, Romans 5.8. Yep. For God demonstrated his own love that while we were yet sinners, Christ yes. died for us. Yes. He was a sacrifice. Number one is because he's the only one that lived the life that could be sacrificed. None of the other sacrifices made a difference. Why? Everything else was tainted by sin. He came into the world. Why was he born of a woman, but not with an earthly father? So the bloodline would not be tainted. Because the rest of the world is corrupt. Why did Satan try to get the babies killed? He knew the life was in the blood. What God originated from the beginning, Satan tried to thwart again. He couldn't do it. So he thought it was a great thing when it came to everybody raising up, you know, crucify him, crucify him. But then after it was all said and done, if the gods of this world would have known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know what they was in him. Could you imagine that third morning when Jesus showed up in the abyss of hell? Guess who? Oh, no! He bruised his head. Defeated him on his own ground. He said, Father, is there any other way? Think about what, what Juanita said. Is there any other way? But then he said, not my will. So we, that, I, let me stay in the garden for a second there. The passage that we like to, well, Pastor, you know my flesh is weak. Yeah, your flesh deserves hell. Can I say that's that recorded? All of our flesh deserves hell. It is weak. But Jesus wasn't talking about you and me. Who was he talking about? Himself. He said, my flesh is weak, but my spirit's willing. 
That's why I, when he went to the disciples, couldn't you pray one hour? Do you not understand what's happening? All of the righteousness of humanity rests on this moment. There are ways that we read the Bible, okay? And have this is all my preliminary notes, okay? So just as soon as I get to uh, places to read, uh, Bob, I want you to give me Romans 3, 9 through 13. I want uh, 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 Cheryl's husband, uh, Steve, thank you. <laughs> Don't ask me why that happens, it happens. Steve, I want you to read verses 21 to 24, okay? And then... Uh, Carol Monziel, I want you to read verses 27 to 31. You say, Pastor, what happened to Romans 1 1? We're reading it in segments. So we'll start there, but I'll get to Romans 1. Don't worry. Okay? We read the Bible certain ways. We read the New Testament, listen to this, to help us understand the Old Testament. We don't read it just because we are a New Testament church. We read it to help us understand. We read the epistles or the letters to help us understand how the early church dealt with issues and how you and I are to deal with issues today. It's what they dealt with then, what we deal with today. And the book of Romans, literally, if you take it in its full writing, in context, it helps us understand all of the books. Why? Because Paul brings together the old and the new, law and grace, all married together in the book of Romans. The purpose for this series is that I believe, as do many others, that the book of Romans is the cornerstone for us to be able to make sense of this life that we're supposed to live. Bless you. Of being a Christian that it will enable us to live a victorious Christian life. Romans is the book that was written with the hopes of declaring, listen to this, the logical step-by-step understanding of the Christian faith. If you want to, just like on Sunday I talked to you about the, the center verse of the Bible and the center chapter of the Bible, and I talked to you and went through that whole little thing. How many thought that was pretty cool? Pretty cool, man. It just God says it's better to trust in God than put your confidence in man. The very center verse of the Bible. Well, the book of Romans is basically the centerpiece of all Scripture, if you will, to help us understand the whole of the Old and New Testament come together. Every epistle, every letter in the New Testament was written from the perspective of resolving problems or, or dealing with local church issues or problems, yet the book of Romans was exceptional in the fact that Paul was trying to help every Christian and non-Christian in Rome and for you and I today to learn what it means to live as a Christian. There are many people that believe that if you do not understand the book of Romans, like I said already, it is possibly a difficulty to understand the rest of the Bibles, of the Bible. Romans chapter 3, we're going to get into your notes now. How many were worried that we weren't going to get there? Okay, Romans chapter 3, I'm still not there yet. I'm getting close, I'm getting close. Uh, 9 through 13. Who has that? Bob. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. What is Paul espousing here? Remember, he's talking to a polytheistic society. He's talking to the Jewish people who have converted to Christ, but he's talking also about the Judaizers. He's saying, are we the most, are we the best thing? Then he said, no, we're all concluded under sin. All of us, not one single righteous person. Is that what it says, Bob? Not one righteous person. Then he reiterates it. Go ahead, Bob. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. 
Okay, stop for a second. How many people in this room have found people who said, well, I'm trying to live for God. How many have said that yourself? How many have heard the old psychological adage, you either do or you try. You can't do both. So trying is really not doing. Trying is doing just what Bob just said. None of us are seeking after God. We've all turned away. See, if I want to do something, I'm going to put Bob on the spot. Bob's been helping me at my house getting a bunch of stuff together. He's got, you know, all kinds of tools. I mean, I, I look at his garage and I get I drool sometimes. But he also has a boatload of knowledge. And he has been helping me immensely. When I get together with him to do stuff around my house, I don't try. And he don't try. We do. Now, after we do, we do mess up sometimes. Okay? But we do do well. We just watch out for the do. Anyway. But the reality is we get together and do what needs to be done. And we try, and we learn, and we develop, okay? So I, I say all that to say there's no, there's no trying, there's doing. You either are living a Christian life or you're not. If you're trying, then all we're doing is fulfilling what he's talking about here in Romans 3. So go ahead and continue. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Which version are you reading? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> NLT, New Living Translation. You know, that's pretty descriptive there. <laughs> but, you know, the picture's accurate. Is that it? Okay, take me to verse 21. Who has that? Verse 21, Steve. You, you have to rise up there, uh, my friend. You have to rise up so you can... I think we're over on this side after this. 21 to 24, is that it? But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Okay, well, say that again. Okay, li now listen, listen to what he's talking about. We're starting to get into the foundation of this teaching. Go ahead. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Okay, what is Paul writing here? The law it does not save us. The law does not make us righteous. The law is not there to set us free. It's to show us how to live free, but it's not there to set us free. Apart from the law, a righteousness is shown. Go ahead. Being witnessed by the law and prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a righteousness revealed. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but by His grace we are brought to salvation. We are brought into healing. Okay, let's go to 27 and 31. Who has that? Over here. Carol? Where is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that, man, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. How do we establish the law? Through faith. What's, what did Paul say? This is what he's doing in the book of Romans. This whole passage we just looked at in the third chapter, what's he talking about? Grace, righteousness, faith, and the law. He's marrying it all together and says how it works. Are you seeing this? This is how it works. A few weeks ago, I ended a series on being guilty, yet living guilt-free. 
And I had some people living out of here, well, my goodness, kind of deep. And, but other people walk out and I see the lights go off. I get it. This is all Paul's doing is he's putting it together. Now he used another word in there. And that word was, was uh, what was it? <clears throat> being justified. What does being justified mean? Jimmy? Just as if you had never sinned is the layman's way of putting it out. It's just as if you died. What does to be justified mean? Means to be made righteous. Yep. Propitiation, expiation, we talked about all of that during the whole series of being uh, guilty, yet living guilt-free. To be justified, the Bible tells us that, that it was accounted unto Abraham as righteousness. He was justified by faith. Why? Because he believed. He believed. Jesus hadn't died when Abraham walked. How could he be justified? Because it's never been about the law. It's always been about faith. Always been. Faith, belief, trust. How many have heard me and remember me teaching on this? Faith, belief, and trust. They all come from the same Greek word. The Greek word is pistis. When you have faith, it means you trust. When you have trust, it means you believe. When you believe, it means you have faith. They all mean the same thing. They're all the same Greek word. Are you with me? Does that look mean yes or no? Okay. Oh, pistis. Not Pisces, like your fish thing, but Pisces. Okay? That's the Greek word that these three words come, come from. All three of them come from the same thing. Okay? And they all point to this, righteousness. Okay? Why? They come from being justified. We're justified by faith. We're justified because we believe. We're justified because we trust. We're, we're justified. Okay? Which means to be made righteous. Can you still read my scribbling? Okay? I think I'd make a horrible school teacher because you're not supposed to scribble over top of things. They use more color. Okay. So you see the picture that Paul's trying to draw here in the third chapter of Romans. Okay? So if we want to fully understand the Christian faith, we have to begin to understand Paul's letter to the Christians at Rome. Paul's letter to the Romans is the well-reasoned presentation of Christianity. Who was the one that got it? And because of him, we sit here today. We have what was called the Protestant Reformation because of this guy. What was his name? Martin Luther. How many know what Protestant means? I'm sorry? To protest. What was Martin Luther protesting? The Catholic Church and their works. How they took God's word out of context. Okay? So we see the picture that Martin Luther, literally, by the reason of God's grace, protested the Catholic Church of what is now known as the Vatican II. Okay? The Catholic Church finally encouraged their people to read the Bible in English in Vatican II in 1967 and finally to leave the Latin. How many here, I was raised Catholic, my wife was raised Catholic. We remember going to Mass and the guy up there talking in Latin. Anybody remember that besides us? How many left there not having a clue what they were saying? Yeah. Okay, it sounded pretty though. However it was, you know. You know what Martin Luther said about the book of Romans? It is the masterpiece of the New Testament. 
Okay. Good. Tina, Romans 1, 16, 17. Jewel Ann, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Let me break down the book of Romans for you as we're getting into it. The, the book of Romans, I break into thirds. Okay, when we do this, we'll break it into about an eight-week session. The last time I taught this, it took me, I don't know, 16, 18, 21 weeks to do it. But I actually wrote it in an eight-week lesson. Okay? Two-thirds of the book of Romans... Very simple is doctrinal. Okay? The, you, you read it, the first two-thirds of the book of Romans is all about doctrine. It's all about marrying law and grace. The last third of the New Testament, or the book of Romans, is all literal. It's all practical application to help you. You understand now what your life's supposed to be, and this is how you do it. Okay? So from, verse, from chapters 1 through 12, we're going to deal with a lot of doctrine. We're going to, a lot of, the word doctrine just means teaching. From, verse, from chapter 13 through 16, or chapter um, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, four chapters is all practical life application. So when we get through this, you are going to be one of the best Christians in all the Flagstaff. I was wondering if I could get some amens out of that one. I got one amen over here. Carlos. Amen. Okay? But it all starts in Romans 1. Okay? Tina's going to read verses 16 through 17. No, we are not reading every verse of the book of Romans. We are reading the topical application of each segment of the book of Romans. And then here, by the time we get close to uh, election day, we will, be, we will be into the governmental structure. The book of Romans tells us how God established the government. Even the government we live in. It's all in the book of Romans. Okay? So, uh, if you look at the top of your, your page, Tina's going to be reading a little bit of this. Okay? So go ahead and read 16 and 17. Okay. And I may stop you, I may not. It just all depends. Okay. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Okay, we can stop there. Look at me for just a second. Can I tell you the biggest problem you have as a Christian? And I say you because this is most of us. Is we are a little bit ashamed of naming the name Jesus. That's why people get around me sometimes they get embarrassed. Because I'm very loud and proud about my Jesus. I just, hey, it's, it's the only hope. We were at a, a gathering the other day and uh, I was invited to a dinner and, and there were some people there that weren't Christians. I didn't know who they were. But all of a sudden the subject of Jesus comes up. My ears perk. And I'm right in there. I'm in. Talk about Jesus. I'm there. And I was told later that said things that these people needed to hear. And it was cool. That's what you do. You be loud and proud about Jesus. Oh, you know, what if you're in a workplace environment? I'm loud and proud about Jesus. It, it is going to say, most of us, because of political correctness, I love, I don't remember who sent it. I think it was Bob sent the first time. It's been out there a hundred times. You know, I would rather be biblically correct than politically correct on Facebook. They have that little picture. I snagged on that thing, yeah. Folks, you can't live the Christian life if you're ashamed of Christ. Well, I'm not ashamed of Him. If you're not living loud and proud, Why? You go to the football game, and you're a Cardinals buff, I guarantee they're doing good, you're rah! They're doing bad, you're rah! About the other team. They're cheating! They're, they're. You're loud and proud. You don't change, do you? But why do we change when it comes to Jesus? 
Man, it's getting quiet in here, and I'm not even preaching. What's the first thing to say again, Tina? For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I'm not ashamed of this. And listen to what Paul says. Now, once again, folks, we have to understand Paul's preaching Paul. His theology, his theoretical and practical and ideal life. He said, I'm not ashamed. Why, why is he not ashamed? What's it say, Tina? Of the good news about Christ. Go ahead. Why? It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I'm not ashamed, for it is the power of God in every aspect of my living. I am righteous because of Christ. I am who I am because of Christ. He is what saved me. He is what keeps me saved. Uh, uh, um. <laughs> Steve! Okay, microphone. Mike, 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 Mike. I mean, uh, Will, Mike, Mike, Will. But are you guys getting this? Are you getting this? Paul, hey, it is the power of God for my salvation, and not mine only, but everyone that believes. Go ahead, Steve. That uh, uh, verse one seventeen at the end of it. I just like to read it from. I have the New King James today, but. That is the very verse that Martin Luther got a hold of that God revealed to him that started, started the Reformation. Yep. The just shall live by faith. Uh, because he was sick of the works-related doctrine of the Catholic Church, and when he got a hold of that by the Holy Spirit, it just set him free. This was the revelation that Martin Luther got. Yeah. Verse 17, the just shall live by faith. There's a great movie. It's called, it's called Luther, I think, honey. Is that what it it's called Luther, and it was actually made, what it made, honey, 2000, we probably should do a movie night. It's, it's, it's actually pretty a, it's a pretty rough movie, because it's got, I mean, all kinds of uh, battles, but not only that, it actually has a lot of people, just corpses and blood, and it's a pretty vile movie, but it's, it's a great, it's a true story about Luther, one of the best ones I've ever seen, okay, and it talks about the, the 95 Thesis. On the wall, Gutenberg, uh, not Gutenberg, what's it called? Where is it at? Is it one of those places? One of those German places. And it, all that stuff and how he was chased after. They were looking to kill him. How they, did, they actually did kill others after him. But, but let's go back to this passage. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation of everyone. The Jew first. They are God's chosen people. And the Gentile. Now, we stop there. Remember, Paul wrote to the church there in Rome. And he said, does that mean the Jews are better than us? What did he say? No. What happens when a non-Jew gets saved? What happens? They get grafted in to the body. We're grafted in. The book of Galatians, we talked about that. And if we choose to not live for God, the Bible says that grafting can be undone. This is why there's no such thing as once saved and always saved. Eternal security. Because it's not that God, it's just we've rejected. We have turned away from God. To the Jew first, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, in the gospel, what was the gospel? What was the word in your passage? What was it? The gospel, good news. We're going to get in that in just a second. It actually means so much more. In the gospel, what's it say? A righteousness from heaven was revealed. What is that righteousness? What is that righteousness? Who was always right standing with God? 
Who was the righteousness from heaven revealed? Jesus, always in right relationship with his Father. Always in right relationship with his Father. On this earth, always lived a righteous life. Always. Because of Jesus, you and I now have right relationship with the Father. Not because of works of righteousness that I have done, but according to His mercy am I saved. Many say, and i got to talk about this as we get further along, all religions are simply the same, or essentially the same. How many have heard that? How many have heard that? All religions are essentially the same. Not at all, okay? There are elements in the moral aspects of religions that are the same. Yet what religion teaches is righteousness comes from us where God moves towards us when we move towards God. See, this is what religion teaches. God helps those that help themselves. But the difference is, in this relationship which we have, which is not a religion, it is a personal relationship, we didn't have anything to do with moving towards God. Lenore said it earlier, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still stinking, low down, rotten, no good for nothing, stinking sinners, Christ died. Anybody here moving towards God when Jesus died? No. None righteous. No, not one. We were all liars. We were all messed up. So our righteousness wasn't moving us towards God. The Bible says why we were still sinners. Righteousness comes from God. There was a righteousness that Tina just read, a righteousness revealed from heaven by faith from first to the last. And then it says, the righteous shall live by faith. Literally, in the Greek, if you translate that literally, transliterated, okay, it says those who are righteous by faith will live their lives. Not by fact, by faith. There's a statement I've made for years. If you will step out in faith, God will step in in fact. That's what Peter did when he stepped out of the boat. How many know it's not logical to step out of the boat into water? I mean, unless you've been doing things you shouldn't be doing. Okay? He stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. What happened? He stepped out in faith, and God made the ground fact. He made the landing fact. He made the step fact. You step out in faith. God will always step in in fact. Romans is our key to Christian theology it is the book that we really have to understand to fully understand what the gospel really means good news in the translation that tina just used but many use the word gospel so loosely even callously that it's lost its true meaning as it is in the original sense. so what i want to do for the next literal five minutes because we're bringing to a close is i want to talk about what is this good news? Honey, uh, Pastor Honey, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm now in your notes, okay? So you can now follow along with me. Okay, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so now read it and put names where it says him. Put names. Mm-hmm. Yep, no, not names. God made... Oh. Yeah, a name. Okay. God made Jewel. Who no. Had, no. God made Jesus. Oh, I didn't Yeah, I, I'm sorry, honey. I should have explained it better. Who is he talking about? Who is God talking about oh, here? Jesus. Yeah, okay. okay. Go, go, I'm All sorry, right. honey. I, I should God have explained it better. Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. How do we become righteous? Through Jesus. How do we become righteous? Everybody should answer this. How do we become righteous? Jesus. That's that's how. Okay? 
God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. Look at somebody and say, that's me. That I might become what? That I might become not just righteous, but what righteous? The righteousness of God. In who? Jesus. I am righteous because of Jesus. Christ in me, the hope of glory, Paul talks about. Okay? I am righteous. I am right standing. I am in right relationship. I am back in harmony with God. Why? Jesus. Not Victorious Life. Not Pastor Tim. Not some radio preacher. I am walking in Christ. Christ is living in me. So what am I? Righteous. Already. Not next month, next year. You say, well, Pastor, I still make mistakes. This is what we're going to talk about. Paul said, this wretched man that I am. But how many think Paul was in Christ and Christ was in Paul? Without a doubt. He dealt with the same ugly stuff you deal with, I deal with. But he said, I'm still righteous. I'm still righteous. I'm still righteous. I am still in right standing, right relationship. Why? Because he's not going out to sin. He's been redeemed from sin. Can somebody say amen? Okay, so just real quick, the word gospel, we terminology say good news. It literally, when you look at it in the passage and in the original language, it literally means the great announcement. The great announcement. Now think about that. Good news, which is what it means. But when you actually look in the original language, good news kind of seems light, doesn't it? Picture, picture with me for a minute. A hillside outside of Bethlehem. Shepherds. Just you and me. We're out there, you know, twiddling our thumbs, and all of a sudden, a, a heavenly host of angels show up. How many would think that's a pretty great announcement? The hillside illuminated. The entire world should have known, but they were all sleeping. But these shepherds, they weren't. There was a great proclamation, a great announcement that a great thing had happened. Now think about that when the gospel comes alive. Jim Cody gave his life to Christ. There was a great announcement in heaven. He is now lost, but now he is found. He was blind, but now he sees. He was dead, now he's alive. Doesn't that give the gospel a whole new understanding? A great. But what made the announcement great was that God was coming to us in order that we could find our way to Him. The righteousness came from God. It is what is called the good news. It is what called the gospel. That God made a way where there seemed to be no way. That He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that if anyone would believe in Him, they wouldn't perish. Yes, sir. Real short. The blood of Jesus. I'm sorry? The blood covenant. I agree. It was the blood that was shed at Calvary. It wasn't that Jesus just hung at Calvary. It was His blood once and for all. No longer the bulls and goats and sheep and this and that. It was His blood. Not only that covered our sins, but that took away our sins. Am I the only one getting excited tonight? That is what's called a great announcement. The great declaration that he was going to enable us to become righteous. That he would do what we could not do. And that is make us righteous through the blood of Jesus.
through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Any questions? You think this is going to be a good study? Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be here next week and the week after. And, and why don't you tell everybody, you, do not, you don't want to miss the book of Romans. It will transform your life. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the righteousness that only you could give that we could, in you, become righteous before God. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. God bless.